Well, folks, I am shocked. I am stunned. I am at a loss of words, really, for how just exciting and jaw-dropping the postseason has been so far, especially with last Friday's NLDS. Um, It was unbelievable. I can't wait to talk about it today with Jack, Dan, Norp, Heath, maybe others, who knows, but um, it's just been a crazy few weeks in MLW, and that's what the show is all about, is breaking those things down. So here we go. This is the Pipe It Up podcast. Cue the intro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in for another week of Pipe It Up. We are on episode 120 as the weeks are flying by. The episodes are flying by. And um, it's a fun time on the podcast. We had to break down some really meaningful series. And um, this one last week was super exciting. But out of respect for UFs and the event that we did there, um, I promised you guys last week we'd get into that to start off this week's show. So for those that were there, they know it was a blast and a lot of fun. But I wanted to talk to you guys about an experience we had um, a few weeks ago um, out in York, Pennsylvania, when we were a part of the UFs World Championship Wiffle Ball Tournament by United Wiffle. Um, and that I think is the third annual event they've had there in York, Pennsylvania. And we had the pleasure of kind of running that event alongside them in a way. While they have their own staff that runs the UFs, you know, world championship tournament, we, you know, hosted a fan fest on that Friday night where we invited all of our MLW, you know, fans to come out and meet us and to play some whiffs, do some pickup wiffle ball, do some training camp type stuff, all that kind of fun stuff. And, um, we also had a MLW Invitational National Championship Tournament for the first time ever where we uh, invited past you know participants from our tournaments and successful ones at that to compete for like an official MLW National Championship. So that was sick. And it was crazy to see all the talent there, but it was just a great time. But Jack, did you see some of that on social media? Yeah, I did see some of the content online, Tom. These, uh, these events always look like so much fun. Again, just a reminder... For, for all you fans, all you guys that uh, watch our stuff and are interested in how to get involved with MLW, these events are just the best place to get to know mm-hmm. some of the players um, in the league, get noticed by us if, if becoming a part of MLW is a goal of yours, um, as always. But I love hearing about these. I've, I've been a part of a couple of them. I, was, I haven't been to one in a really long time, uh, and... It's something that I want to get back to doing. Just haven't been able to. Schedules haven't aligned. But I went to a lot of tournaments in the in the beginning when we first started mm-hmm. doing them, and they were always a blast. And they've they've really blew up and got even bigger. So how many? What were like the ages of the the players, and how many teams did you guys have at this this national tournament? So, like I said, we only invited like teams that we thought were um, you know deserving of a spot in this national championship tournament. So it ended up being eight squads. Okay. So not too many Wifflers were competing for the actual tournament, but I believe, and we thought that, you know, all eight of those teams we invited out had, you know, a fair shot of winning that tournament. Just like how the MLW okay. playoffs are set up, you know, you don't want guys out there that are outside of their element too, too much. So it was very competitive. And we invited teams that, you know, traveled from uh, Wisconsin, uh, the West Coast, Arizona. Uh, there was a team from Ohio that ended up winning the whole thing. We had our we had our MLW guys competing. Um, they got knocked out in the semifinals, but the MLW Rising Stars with Dallas Allen and um, some of the other younger players in the league, so Michigan. So people traveled yep. from all over the country, really, to participate in Pennsylvania there um, alongside. Like, it was happening at the same time as the older division World okay. Championship Tournament was, so it was okay. super cool. And, like, it was uh, just cool to see, like, those guys kind of get a spotlight a little bit. 
because, you know, when we host our tournaments, there's so many games going on at one time, right? Like, we have usually, like, seven fields going at once, yeah. and these games are quick. But, you know, having these guys step in um, and, you know, having their names announced and having a little bit of a crowd watching them play because there's only two fields going at once, and it's, like, the best of the best playing, it was, it was really cool. So I saw um, some of the content. I feel like I saw people running the bases. Were, were the rules different, or was it just fast pitch with no running? Like on the no pegging and stuff. So for those that have played in MLW tournaments before, um, the rules in the national championship were pretty much the very very similar to what we do at our MLW tournaments. The only differences were for these guys, we backed them up an extra four feet, so it was all U seventeen. So the kids were seventeen or younger. Okay. Um, and we had them pitching from forty two feet, but there was no speed limit. So like we're talking about like a hundred plus, you know, MLB equivalent speeds trying to hit like guys like Trey Flood were just absolutely chucking the ball from so close. So that was a little different. And then, like, the rules to hit, there was still no base running. Okay? okay. But the rules of, like, hitting a double were a little bit different because there's no doubles lines. Like, the ball actually had to get to the fence in order to hit a double. So that was different. Uh, but for the most part, it was very, very, very similar. So the guys were experienced. All Everyone there that had played in the MLW tournament at some point besides, I think, one team. Okay, so you knew all these teams and then maybe met some of the guys before. But um, I think I asked this question the last time we talked about an event or tournament. But... Who who wins the title for for coolest team name or coolest jersey there? Ooh, for our U seventeens, um, I'll be, I mean, okay, I'll be honest. Our MLW guys had some nice some nice jerseys, but <laughs> okay. because you know, yeah, I, I helped them out. You, but, you hooked them up. But Tom, it wasn't my design. Should. I got to give a shout out to a guy named Trent who he kind of designed our first like MLW national team uh, jerseys, just kind of like a modified logo of the USA like Olympic baseball team. Okay. So I kind of just did a rendition of that and like changed the color. So like our national team matched our Rising Stars team. It was like a different colored shirt, but like the logo was the same. So we were all branded the same, which was cool. Okay. But I will give a shout out to the runners up of the event. The Flamingos was their team name. Yep. I and think the, you mentioned them before. The yeah. Last these time. guys won both MLW tournaments this summer. They won the Wiffle and the Mitten and they won the Midwest Slugfest. And they came from out of state for both those tournaments. And then they drove all the way to Pennsylvania and got so close for a clean sweep. Um, but their team does, um, they all wear matching pink shorts and their jerseys are black, like actual button up jerseys with embroidered stitching with like pink flamingos text and some just pops. Uh, it just looks really good. I like yeah. the dark jersey with the bright shorts. It looks really cool. Nice. But, awesome. Um, any other, any other funny stories or highlights from, from the event that you want to share? Um, from our tournament, nothing too much. I want to share. I think I was like impressed by all the talent. For sure, it was it was cool to see like the best of the best from all of our tournaments kind of going at it because sometimes our tournaments getting north of you know 50, 60 teams, it can be kind of inevitable like okay these guys are going to meet each other in the semis of the championship like these are the two teams on a crash course to play each other. Mm-hmm. But then getting all the guys we've seen from Texas, from our tournament in Arizona, from you know the Wiffle and the Mitten, all those teams into one spot was sweet just to see like okay who can really play. And no one was outside their element too much. You know what I mean? Everyone competed, and um, our MLW guys got taken down in the semis by the eventual champs, which was Ohio Elite Wiffle Ball. So shout out to those guys. Um, aside from that, the one other thing I wanted to share about the event was just the you know, the tournament that me, myself, competed in, which was the, the World Championship Tournament. So our MLW roster there was me, Kyle Schultz, Ryan Cratch, Nick Saylor, and Jimmy Norp. And we had wow. high hopes coming in. <laughs> I know. Good, what a roster. A, a, good, a good roster. Um, but we had high hopes coming in, you know, we, there's 40 teams that were playing in this world championship tournament and we did it last year. We made top 16 
which was like we kind of exceed our expectations a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But we were uh, we were humbled this year, Jack. Let's just say we really? were humbled. We were. Yeah, this is debatable, but in my opinion, we were put in the hardest bracket. There was five brackets, I think, A through E, and three teams in our in our um, I think it was eight teams in our pool. Yeah, three teams made the top eight in the whole tournament. Oh wow! So yeah, and one of them was the eventual champions. The the championship game were both. You guys in got our a tough bracket. draw. So yeah, we kind of had a tough draw, but at the same time, like we're not that far off of like getting to that point where we can compete with these with these great teams. But just the inexperience of seeing fast pitch from forty five feet or forty eight yeah. to the plate or forty eight to the strike zone, but and just the difference in the ball, the movement. Because in that tournament, um, you can use any wiffle ball, so like you can use a knifed ball or like a scuff mm-hmm. ball, an unscuffed ball. So pitching wise, we held our own. Ryan Crash did a great job. Did a great job on the mound, but at at the plate, man, we struggled. It was hard. Is there any like shade, maybe, or kind of chirping from like other teams against you guys, just because people might actually know who you are from our brand and like channel versus like some teams that maybe go to all these tournaments and are really good, obviously, but you know, no one on the internet knows them. Like, I'm, I'd have to assume they're playing with a little like chip on their shoulder when they're playing you guys. I think so a little bit. Um, I especially felt that way. So the first ever like national tournament we competed in was in 2019. Um, that one's called the NWLA. And um, that was my first time like going to and playing. Because all these guys that play in these national tournaments kind of have known each other for years. Yeah. And always are used to seeing each other. And then we were kind of the new kids coming up and like making a name for ourselves on the internet. Whereas they were all like more so into the competitive side of like yeah. really playing the game, whereas we we more so just did it in a more presentable way, if that makes right. sense. So in twenty nineteen, yeah, it was really weird for me because um I feel like everyone there knew who we were and knew who I was, but not to be rude, but I didn't know who anybody was. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of like awkward interactions and I felt bad. I think they kind of felt not offended, but someone were like, you know, how do you not know who this person is? Like right. in the wiffle ball scene, I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, that's just not what i'm a part of you know we have our own thing Mm -hmm. going so that was weird and i felt like and i did feel kind of bad like i said not knowing some of these big names and faces in in the sport of wiffle ball and that niche sport but um now that we've been around for a couple years i feel like it's different now okay as everyone you know they respect what we've done and what we're doing um for the most part they're all like really nice guys i enjoy seeing them every year and you know they know that we do our thing and they do their thing so i think it's it's a lot different now than it was a couple years ago if that makes sense yeah no that does make sense I was just curious. Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. Because yeah. now it's like I do. Because now I've seen these guys for you know three, four years in a row. So I I do recognize faces and I know names and I kind of follow online what's going on. And Jordan's a great plug into that world, yeah. the competitive scene. So I will give a shout out to Jordan. Uh, him and his boys, the Phenoms, did win or did go all the way to the finals and lost in the championship again. The, the Jugs went back to back, but it was pretty cool to see Jordan uh, on his home turf. You know. Doing what he does best. Just, <laughs> I'm sure he, he was great. in his element. He was, and I, I yeah. know he was bummed that he that he didn't win. Um, he really wanted that title, but I mean, he played great. I, I would. I don't know who ended up winning the tournament MVP, like for the whole entire tournament. But I think he had a pretty good case for himself. He had a couple big home runs in both the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And then at one point, he had the game. He had the go ahead home run in the championship, but they ended up losing it in extra innings. So um, he did great. And it was awesome to see him in his element. And I would encourage you guys if you're if you're in the Pennsylvania area. You know, as of right now, I am to assume that the UF's tournament will be back next year in York, Pennsylvania. So if you're on the East Coast, if you're in that area, or if you're like really into wiffle ball and want to make a trip out of it, you know, everyone who goes, whether you're an MLW fan or just a fan of the sport, 
or looking for something to do for a weekend. Like everyone has a great time. It's, yeah. it's just very unique. You know, it's, it's like, I feel like it would be hard to have a bad time. Well, it's just like <laughs> if, okay, say you were to go to a, like a cook off, something random, but mm-hmm. seeing the best in the world right. at that thing is cool. Right? Yeah. So like being around the talent of like, okay, this is an odd sport that doesn't get like national attention quite yet, but seeing the best of the best playing all in one spot for two yeah. days straight is pretty sweet. It's like watching the hot dog eating contest. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, <laughs> Maybe you don't want to do that every so single weekend, weird, but, but these guys are so once good a, at Once it. a year, you're going to tune in, right? Yeah, you're going to tune course. in once a year. Of so, course. So yeah, it was a great event, and I, I really appreciated everyone who came out and traveled to, to meet us and to participate in the tournament and just to hang out, and it was a, it was a great time. So thanks again to everyone who we met, and um, we did some Q of the Days last week with some of those guys, like that kid from Alaska who we met. And I think I actually have a note in my phone of people I was supposed to give shout-outs to. Um, let's see if I can find it. Loading. Loading. Mike, Mikey and Truen, shout out to you guys uh, for listening to the pod every week, and it was nice meeting you. But okay, folks, enough of that. It's time to get into the NLDS. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Minor Breakdown, a developmental podcast. We all know the names of baseball legends like Barry Bonds, but did you know that he got his start playing for a team almost 3,000 miles away from San Francisco? No. <laughs> Tune into Minor Breakdown to learn about all the amazing minor independent, and summer league teams across the country. The podcast highlights squads like the Portland Pickles, the Quad City River Bandits, and the Florence Yalls, and features interviews from GMs, coaches, and even team mascots. Gosh, I love minor league baseball team names. There's nothing better in sports. Learn about these unique teams and the cities they're in on Minor Breakdown, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at at Minor Breakdown. Okay, now it is time to get down to business. We are joined by Daniel Schultz, who unfortunately was on the wrong end of the NLDS, but that was a phenomenal series. Uh, I know we've had a lot of like good postseason series over the years, but this one for sure ranks up there for me as most exciting. And this is honestly, guys, I was looking, thinking back about like just all the years of MLW I've been a part of, and I think this was truly up there with my 2017 World Series for like the most shocking outcome to a series that I've ever seen in terms of like with how things started to how things ended. Um, it was shocking the day of, it was shocking thinking about it over the last few weeks. It was shocking rewatching it in the video. And it's hard to explain just how quickly the tides of a series can turn and how quickly the outcomes of your season can turn which within the matter of minutes. And it was unbelievable to see it unfold. And, um, I don't know. I feel like we've been joined a lot in the past in this podcast by the winners, right? The people who come out on top of series and always hear that perspective, but nothing against Daniel, but I do think it's tough, right? It's tough to deal with these losses. And even though it's just a wiffle ball league and whatever, you know, it can weigh on you a lot. So, um, Dan, thank you for joining us. First and foremost, I appreciate yep, it. No problem. And, yep. um, I don't know. Just talk to me, man. Like what was going through your head? What is going through your head right now? Just looking, <clears throat> looking back on that day and, and how things transpired. Yeah, not gonna lie. Rewatching that video was very tough. Um, it was just a it was a weird day all the way around. Started so hot, and then yeah, as you know, just went down from there. But uh, looking back, yeah, from a managerial standpoint, I think maybe there are some things I could have done different. But overall, I think we can take a lot from this series, and we'll be better moving forward. But yeah, I don't know. It was a tough one for sure. If you would, if you would, Dan, if you don't mind, you said there might be some things that you would have managed differently. Um, anything yep. specific that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, so I think the main thing is 
Um, first and the second game, it was a unanimous decision by the team to keep Dallas out there in the second game. Um, but you saw, in, especially in, I think it was in the second inning, once the ball kind of got beat down, Dallas got a little more wild. And like over the course of the season, Dallas really never pitched in those games two, game twos. So personally, I, I think he had a tougher time adjusting to that. And so maybe that's kind of on me because, you know, I'm more used to that game two ball. I had pitched pretty much every game two since I think the second series. So maybe I should have came in earlier or maybe I should have started game two. And then especially in game three, I think Dallas will be the first one to tell you. I think game two affected his game three, maybe got in his head a little bit. So maybe I should have pulled him earlier in game three or maybe I should have started game three. It's tough to say. It's, it's really tough to say, honestly, but um I don't know. Dallas definitely didn't have it in his game three, and I should have maybe noticed that earlier. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough situation to manage. You know, from experience, I know that. I will say for the listeners to give you some inside scoop as to what was happening at the field that day, because you know, as you know, like compared to baseball, like you don't have a twenty-four hour window to think about. Okay, who's going to start game two? Not one game one. You know what I mean? It's it's bang bang bang. And I was also surprised to see Dallas start, but however. What I remember, Daniel, that wasn't the plan. I remember you. Th- I think you were going to go out there, and then when Zach hit the home run to give you guys the early lead, that changed yeah. the decision, right? Yeah, I was before the series started. I think I was going to start game two, but yeah, we had the early lead. I, and Dallas was pitching so well; like it's it's really hard. We he just pitched a complete game shutout with that ball. It's hard to pull him like that. I and we were so close to finishing it off, but yeah, in game three, I think I should have probably started but I don't know I think Dallas with the new ball I thought maybe it'd be a new mojo for for him going forward with game three so but it didn't work out obviously I think one thing that worked for the Eagles all year was just your guys's energy and enthusiasm and like you said you guys got off to a really hot start obviously the game one win Waylon hits a homer early in game two and then Dallas actually hits a another home run a two-run home run um, yeah. to give you guys a 3-0 lead. Do you think, and you know, you guys were were showing some energy, obviously, and enthusiasm after that. Do you think maybe as a team, you guys were a little bit too up or riding kind of too high, maybe thought it was like over a little too early? Uh, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think I would ever be mad at our team for being too high. I think maybe the more that was the problem in game three when we were too low. Mm-hmm. Like even when we were losing, I think we should have been more upbeat. You saw with the D-backs when they were losing, they were still, you know, really focused. So I think especially our young team can take notes on that, you know, watch the D-backs. They've done this before. They know what to do. You know, they were an inning away from losing and then they go on to win the series. So, um, yeah, but we can definitely take some lessons from that. But I think Blade Walker especially uh, really gives us that boost, like you were saying, energy-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned how the D-backs kind of stayed high throughout the series, which was super impressive because Norp was, like, visibly struggling. Like, it was as, guys, it was as lopsided as it gets. I mean, I know it was only a one nothing game, but with the Eagles winning that first game and Norp struggling to find control and Dallas just pitching lights out like he's been doing all year, then the Eagles taking a 3 nothing lead. I mean, I hate to do this to Eagles fans but and, and to Dan, but, I mean, it was all but over. I'm being mm-hmm. honest. Like I, I'm just speaking as honestly as I can. Like that series looked like it was over. Well, if you remember, it really did, and if, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, but um, if you remember on the last podcast with my prediction, I said that 
whoever wins game one is probably going to win the series mm-hmm. because I thought it was highly unlikely that one of the teams was going to be able to win two games in a row after losing one. And it was, yeah. it not only was it I was so than wrong than that, but it was even worse where yeah. the Eagles were even ahead in that game too by three runs. Um, so it's just another, it just once again, another like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You should never count yourself out really or your team. Um, and it's never over. It's never over till it's over. So that's baseball. That's wiffle ball. Um, but I wanted to also ask you, Dan, um, you mentioned, you know, Dallas not playing as many game twos during the regular season. Um, maybe that ball was a little bit beat up. But do you also think that uh, his just overall experience and maybe inexperience in the playoffs affected him a little bit when when the when the stage was a little bit bigger? Um, that's tough to say from my standpoint. I think uh, possibly. I mean, like obviously, Jimmy has the edge, like being in so many playoff games. So it, I think it definitely does play a factor. But I will say, like Dallas has been in big moments, like. I say this year, like against the Mallards, I would say that was the biggest moment of his career, and he performed at that stage. So I thought he was fully capable. He is fully capable, I think, in the future. It's just, I don't know, just at that point in time, he just didn't have it. Um, but yeah, it's tough to say. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was genuinely because I, I kind of root for everybody to do their best, and whether it's you know in Norfolk struggling too at first, and you know you guys had a great season, and then seeing Dallas. Um, just not having his best day on the mound and getting frustrated. You know, it, it was hard to watch because I just, I feel genuinely bad. You know, you guys did have a good year. It's just like these playoff baseball series, right? You know, the Dodgers won 110 games this year and then they go out there and lose their first playoff series. Like, that's just how it goes. I mean, you really just have yeah. to be able to execute when it matters most. Um, talk a little bit about, Dan, like the, the shift in energy because I don't know what it was. Like I said, that series was all but over, right? Um, it was three nothing, second inning, and the D backs were up with not a lot of life in them. But why do you think like why did the energy shift so much? Because I don't know what it was, but then, like I said, going into the D backs bats second inning to when they jogged back off the off the base pass to go out in the field again, it felt like now the series was over in their favor. Like it just felt like they were gonna win game three now. I don't know why, but I feel like you thought the same way too. What? I had never seen a dynamic like that before. It was unbelievable momentum was just 180 yeah i think like i was saying i think a lot of that was on us i think we failed the i think the d-backs really capitalized on that and i think we failed to maintain that energy throughout the whole series i yeah i don't know why but you could definitely feel in game three that the momentum had totally shifted um i don't know yeah that was just is just bad on us looking forward we'll definitely take that into account because you're right it just that can't happen you know, the Eagles are interesting because I, I feel like you guys are arguably the most unique team in the league right now. Um, if you look at it from sort of a, a long-term perspective or a wider lens, because I think you guys are probably the youngest team, probably the deepest team across the board. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that that has its perks and, you know, it might also have some, some cons to it, right? Those guys um, don't have as much experience in the playoffs, but you know, they're obviously young, enthusiastic, like the energy, right. But dealing with those momentum shifts, I feel like comes with experience. So I think Dan, you know, 
obviously it's not the way that you guys wanted to end your season, but for the Eagles as a team, I feel like this, I said this, I believe after one of the series that you guys lost earlier in the year. Um, but I feel like this series even more is so important for like the future of your guys's franchise, because I think you can learn a lot. I think the young guys on your team can learn a lot. Um, and you know, looking forward, you're, you're probably going to bring back a lot of the same guys, obviously maybe add some people, but what, you know, what would you really look to improve on next year? Even because looking from it, from like my perspective is like, you guys pitch phenomenal all year long. You guys had five people in, in, in the lineup, almost every game batting phenomenally. So like, how do you even improve? Like from, you know, asking you as a manager, what are you looking to improve on? Um, yeah, I think especially with all my young guys, I think like like you said, like Landon, that was his first year. I thought he had a really great year, and I expect him to even have a more of a breakout year next year. Um, I think it's huge for him to really have a whole year getting a lot of at bats, um, and then in the playoffs, I think it, he came through with us for us um, in game one at a big stage. So mm-hmm. I thought Landon played played good, um, especially in that game one, and I'm really excited uh, for him in the future. I think Blade, uh, I expect big thing from big things from him next year. Um, and then Dallas, especially, you saw him this year. So I think Dallas will be, again, the, the main piece of our team next year. Um, I think from a managerial standpoint, I think it'll be the same. I think Dallas will probably be starting games one and three, and I'll be starting games two. And then, like, in the playoffs, I think we should probably keep with that is what I learned from this year. Um, just so, like, in the playoffs, it's not too different. Um Maybe, maybe that's another thing. Like maybe I put too much on Dallas in the playoff game because I did have him start all three games. Um, and I didn't tell him he would be doing that before the, before the series started. So, um, there's a lot of things I can take into account, but I'm just excited that, um, you know, all my guys got a lot of reps this year. It was, you know, everybody learned a lot this year. So I'm excited where the, this team is going in the future. I definitely think Dan, that, Yes, the outcome is disappointing for you guys, but I think the way you managed the lineup this year with everybody getting reps consistently and guys like Landon, like you said, and Landon, by the way, looked phenomenal in that U-17 Invitational out in Pennsylvania. Um, oh, did he? Nice. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, he, he had great at-bats. Such a good hitter. And um, I feel like you, you have positioned yourself very, very well because mm-hmm. I think you do have to kind of invest in some of these guys, right? Whether it's me yeah. drafting, you know, Caden, who's a little bit older than guys like Landon and Blade and Dallas. But I think with experience in wiffle ball, with our style, with our rules, has huge benefits long-term. So with all of your guys starting pretty much every game, I do think you position yourselves very, very well for the future. But, of course, right now you have to deal with the loss, which, which stinks after a really good season again. And I know, I think... You know, I don't think about it too much because I'm worried about uh, myself and the Mallards, but I know I think you've probably taken some criticism for your postseason finishes over the last few years, which is a bummer because you guys have been consistently a very, very good team, but have just fallen short. Yep. So you know, I'm excited for you because I do think you'll have the talent to, to get over the hump sooner rather than later. I think your franchise yep. is probably in the best position moving forward, but it is tough. And like you said, those little decisions that, that come game time and things that happen you don't expect, it's uh, it's very difficult and hindsight's always twenty twenty. But um, so now we're a few weeks out of this, um, and the video's up now. What are the conversations like with the guys, particularly Dallas? Um, have you guys been in contact over the last few days? Oh yeah, 
me and Dallas have always been talking. Um, yeah, even despite the loss, like we we've still always been talking what what he can do better, what he did well. Um, I remember Dallas, we were just talking about, um, especially in the hitting side, he had the highest uh, average out of anybody this season. Mm-hmm. Um, he and then especially from the team standpoint. I thought we did really well from hitting, um, drawing a lot of walks, reducing strikeouts. I think Blade, uh, I'm going to tell him, like, I think he's the main one that I think can improve on, um, you know, being a little less swing happy, drawing more walks. So, you know, with every player, there's things we can improve on, things we did well. Um, But, yeah, I I think there's a lot of things I'm excited for with this Eagles team. And it's a full investment into these guys, like Landon, Blade, like they're full-time, like I view them as full-time starters for the Eagles. Like this is a full investment into them. They're, they're not role players in my opinion. That's good to hear from your manager. I think if you guys are Eagles fans, obviously that he, you know, believes in these guys and whatnot. And we saw it with how much Dallas improved, you know, that investment has seemed to pay off um, and, and how much he pitched and played this year. And it's, and this is maybe more of a personal question for you, Dan, but this was, probably the the least amount you've played in any year so far in MLW so what was that kind of like for you personally to maybe you know not have as much pressure on you especially on the mound I mean you know you were batting every game but you pitched a lot less than in previous seasons so what was that like for you to be a little bit less in the driver's seat so to speak yeah (laughs) to be honest I was kind of happy just um we needed someone to take that next step. So I was eager to give someone else that, that role. Um, and I'm fine pitching less because that means I can focus more on hitting. And you saw this year, I did much better at the plate last, the last couple of years. I feel like I'd been down on myself hitting and I really focused this year on being a better hitter. So I think that's one thing I can really take, um, keep taking steps forward on next year. Um, and Dallas, I mean, he, he pitched the majority of the games and he still had the highest average. So he's fully capable. It's crazy. Dallas is just big things to come for him. Yeah, I mean, it is It is funny how, like, the whole Dallas winning the batting title thing has been, like, kind of so, so yeah, over the rag. So overlooked. Because he's pitching so good. And, I, and I, he didn't really have, like, the big power numbers. I think that's one thing he wants to improve on, and I expect him to improve on it. Just I know Dallas. I know he loves wiffle ball so much, and I can just see him figuring out a way to do better there. But, yeah, average-wise, he's nuts. Um, hit the ball hard. Look back, guys, and watch the series against the Preds, I think it was, to end the year when Dallas did you know, make that jump to the highest average. He just hit unbelievably. I don't think he had any home runs that day, but it was just an incredible performance offensively. So he's a great player and one you're lucky to have, Dan. Um, but, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy we had you on, Dan, to, to share your thoughts with the fans as to this experience. I know it's a bummer. I, I really did feel for you, Dan. When I went home that day and we were cleaning up, I was like, man, I mean, the Eagles had a great season. And it makes you think, you know, it, it made me like, realize the importance of how big the series is that I have coming up with the D-backs now is like, you just got to execute. Like I know, I think we're the better team. We beat them once before already, but you really got to go out there and execute because it doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. really doesn't matter. Once you're there, it's, it's anybody's game. I think extra tough every single time. <laughs> yep, you got to yeah. bring your right game. Mm-hmm. That's guaranteed. Um, I think putting it in perspective though, if you're an Eagles fan, like I said, you should be really happy with where the team is. I certainly didn't expect the Eagles to go 10 and 5. Um, I don't think a lot of people did. And I think you guys, you know, exceeded expectations through, you know, from the beginning of the year to where you finished, even though obviously maybe your expectations were higher. 
Um, I think it was, you know, still a very, very positive season for the Eagles and a lot to look forward to in the future. Any final words for Eagle Nation this year, Dan? Uh, final words? Mm-hmm. I'll say we'll be next year better than ever. Uh, I'm excited to be back. Week. Um, <laughs> I'm just really, it is really so sad. Though. No, it's so sad how this year ended. I'm not going to lie, but um, big things to come. I'm excited. But, yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I haven't been on in a while, so it's, it's – I know, Dan. Me and, yeah, me and Dan are rarely breaking bread nowadays. It's hard to get – but this weekend, Dan, what are we doing this weekend? This weekend's big Michigan Michigan State football game. It'd be crazy. Even though Michigan State's <laughs> terrible, crazy. am I am I coming over? Am hey, I it's rivalry. My crashing game. The house party. Hey, you guys are you guys are welcome to stop by. And I'm coming Jack, over. Jack, you gonna be in Ann Arbor? Man, you might regret that what, invite. What, 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 what time are you getting up on Saturday, Dan? What time are you getting up? Probably pretty early. I think my friends are coming Friday night, so we'll probably be up and at them early oh, Saturday morning. Oh, baby, we have to get some stories up on the pipe it up Instagram, maybe. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> gonna be a, hey, it's a big weekend. It's, it's this is kind of like the third or fourth year in a row now too. Michigan, Michigan State, the big in-state rivalry football game, Halloween weekend. It's gonna be yeah. a big, big weekend on campus for old Dan and, and Wayland who live together at Michigan. Yeah, it's Wayland's twenty-first birthday. Oh, oh and no. Wayland's twenty-first birthday. God, I gotta be there. I gotta be there. Sounds like yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. So we we can catch up then, Dan. But thanks for coming on tonight. We appreciate it. And uh, hey, man, wish you the best in the future. Yep. All right. Thanks. I'll see you guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're now joined by some probably brighter spirits. Uh, we have Jimmy Norp as well as Jonah Heath, two Diamondbacks players coming off a big victory against the Eagles. Guys, thanks for hopping on the podcast. No problem, Jack. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having us, fellas. Jim's a dedicated man to getting himself on this show. He's, he's been on, this is probably what, your third or fourth appearance this year, Jim? And... You were unavailable when I asked you to be earlier today, but you're like, I can do 9.30, and me and Jack said, all right, working the night shift today. We're making it happen. Yep, yep. Just just love talking to you guys, you know? Oh, I know, Jim. <laughs> I know you can't get enough of this soothing voice here. But oh, Absolutely. Go ahead, Jack. I mean, boys, what do we say? What a, what what a say, series. Huh? What do you say about the Diamondbacks? Um, I had faith in you guys. You guys were my pick. It definitely didn't play out how I was expecting it to, but once again... You know, you guys kind of prove people wrong. Um, but for both of you guys, you know, despite your record, obviously five and ten going up against ten and five. Um, you guys were the the three seed versus the two seed. But did you guys really feel like an underdog going into the series? Um, no. To be honest, I felt like this series was kind of fifty fifty. If I was going to come from an unbiased standpoint, we already beat them once in the regular season. They're a great team, but I feel like the postseason. We just had a little bit more experience, a little bit more grit. We don't give up that kind of thing. So, and I think that showed in this series. Those those Eagles, they're going to be a great team. They're young. This was Dallas's first ever time on the mound in a postseason, so he's going to learn from an experience like this. But I feel like it was fifty fifty coming in, and I thought our second half was really good. We kind of Jonah, we talked to Dan a little bit about the the momentum swings and the mood changes throughout this series. Um, obviously, mostly in game two. 
could you kind of put into words um, what that mood change or that momentum shift really felt like when you guys seemed like you really had your backs against the wall and all of a sudden it seemed like nothing was going to stop you guys? Yeah, um, it definitely, like, just the entire energy at the Meadows, like, just completely changed. It was kind of, our end was a little quiet. Their end, they were going crazy. I know Blade was, like, losing his mind. You know, it's, it's loud, it's crazy. And then we got a little energy going. We got a little rally going, started to score some runs. And, like, you feel the energy shift. And, like, it started shifting, and it just completely went our way. Like, they silenced right up, and we were loud. We were going crazy. Our bench was going crazy. So, like, it did a full 180, and you could, like, I think anyone there could feel it. Like, they I felt it. I felt it, kind of like, Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they kind of just, they got down a little bit and we got way up and we just took advantage of it when we could. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I told Dan is honestly speaking. I mean, I was a part of humbly speaking. I I was a part of probably like the most (laughs) improbable comeback in MLW history up until this point. And that was a five game series, not a three game series, but I've just never seen such a hard shift in energy. I, I, I was texting Kyle after the video went up and, um, it was like it was like you guys. It was like the Eagles were kind of like, like Tom as a child, you know, a little tiny, skinny little kid sitting on a seesaw, right? And no one was with him. He was just sitting on that seesaw, and everything was in his favor. But then a little, a little heftier child walked over to the seesaw and just took a seat, and then little Tom got launched into the air. <laughs> That's what it was like. Cause it was, it was like when I'm watching the games, it was like okay, the Eagles have this in the bag. And then not but five minutes later, when you guys were winning five to three, it was like the Eagles aren't winning this. It was just the energy. I've never seen anything more inevitable after the comeback started. And I felt like everyone there knew it, too. I've never experienced anything like that before. Yeah, Tom, I got to say, I think I say this. I don't think we're the most talented team in MLW. I think there's more talented teams out there than us for sure. But we show a lot of we got a lot of heart when we went down three nothing. I believe it was Jonah who came to the bench when my head was kind of down. He was like, Hey man, nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Right. I was like, it's not wrong. Like it's not easy to win these postseason series, but you got to keep your head up because you know, it's one swing can change a game. One inning can change a game. We were down to our final six outs and we found a way to rally. So props to props to my teammates for, you know, getting on base and then setting each other up. We all, we all lean on each other. And that's a big thing with the D backs. Yeah. Um, Norp two for you, especially as the comeback starts to happen, right? You guys take the lead. All of a sudden, now you find yourself in a, a high pressure situation on the mound too, and having to pitch. You, know, you ended up pitching the entire series. So, what was the strain like for you physically? Was that at all weighing on you as the day went on? You know, I felt I felt pretty good. Like it, the adrenaline kind of gets to me in those big games. I can't really. I don't feel any pain, nothing like that. So after the series, you get a little sore throwing all those innings. But when you're in the moment. You're not really thinking about it at all. So I felt okay. Was that your plan bullpen wise going into the series to kind of, you know, start every game and see how it went or, you know, take a game by game? Or did you have a concrete plan um, that was changed after that game one loss? Yeah. You know, in the past in my career so far, I've had really good success in the Eagles, I feel like. So in case, unless I would have got like absolutely rocked in game one or something like that, where I give up like four or five, six runs, and I feel like they were just seeing me well, then I probably would have went to Jonah or maybe even somebody else in the bullpen. But only giving up one run in game one, I felt like I was still good to go. And I mean, even I gave up three runs in game two, but I I walked a lot of guys in game one, which is something I hate. I hate when I walk guys. I'd rather give up four home runs in a row than walk 
three guys in one home run. I can't stand that. So game two, even though I gave up three runs, I felt like I was more around the zone. So I was getting better as the day went on. You, uh, you mentioned the walks and, um, you also mentioned the adrenaline and I noticed in the video that you had, a you were hovering around the, the speed limit, like pretty much all day. Um, was that sort of, was that intentional? Were you really trying to push the limits that much? Or was that maybe a little bit of adrenaline kind of like in the playoffs, you know, pushing you over and getting a lot more warnings? Like war- you almost had a warning in like each inning, I feel like. Well, I'd say he did easily. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's a little bit of both, Jack. You can uh, ask my teammates, Jonah and Shiva when they're behind me, but there are certain situations in the game where I know like two strong, good hitter at the plate. This could be a good time to use the warning, that kind of thing. But also sometimes I overdo it. So there was an at-bat with Dallas Allen. The pitch was 3-2. I did not have a warning in the inning yet, and I threw one at 75. I was trying to hit 73 or 74 there, but just went a little bit too hard. So sometimes it comes back to bite me, but for the most part, I'd like to say I do it on purpose. Yeah, no, I think it's calculated. Jim, Jim is probably the probably the most effective at it in the league, I'd say. No, no one really flirts with the line as much as he does effectively from what I've seen over the last, you know, three, four months. I just think it's interesting because like we we've insta- we we installed that so recently, yet you're always already seeing so much strategy involved with it. Like you're not the first person that I've noticed seeing where, like you said, you know, two strikes, good batter, might be a good time to pump one in here and, you know, use a warning. Um, so I, I appreciate the the insight on that. But looking at the plate, um, you guys have you know, twice this year gotten after the Eagles uh, batting-wise. What is both your guys' strategy in terms of attacking Dallas and Dan? Are there certain pitches that you guys are looking for, um, things you guys have keyed in on? Uh, Maybe just give me a little something on that. Uh, I think definitely Dallas, I think he even said in the pregame interview, he said he kind of had a different, like, a different look at the game. He had a different, like, arsenal coming in after what happened, like, the first time we met with them. But I think definitely just – I don't think I was seeing it as good as the first series in terms of hitting it, but I do think I was seeing it really good in terms of, like, balls and strikes. I think I might have walked more than I got out, like, that series. I was, I feel like I was just seeing the ball all the way to the plate really good. I didn't quite put the bat on the ball as much against him, but just kind of being patient up there, not swinging at, like, junk pitches or whatever. And then against Dan – I mean, a lot of a lot of risers, so kind of have to see that coming. Then, if you see that ball come up for the knuckle drop, you know it's coming down. So you just gotta kind of throw that, the bat. That's at what you got, right, Jonah? I think your game three home run was off of a knuckle mm-hmm. drop. I did get a knuckle drop. At a boy, at a boy. What goes up must come down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah. yeah it's and if I had to add on, if I had to add on, I guess what I would just say I give a lot of credit to Jonah because. Dallas came in obviously knowing that Jonah had his number the first series, right? So mm-hmm. if you're Jonah and you're head, you're thinking, I can see this guy well, I can hit off of this guy. But Dallas was pitching him super carefully, and Jonah did a good job just taking his walks, getting on base, not trying to be too aggressive. And then Michael Shima, who had a great series, I mean, put Shima. everything in play. It seems like, yeah, every, t- every time Dallas was putting the ball in the zone, Shima was swinging at it. Every time Dallas was missing the zone, Shima was taking it. He just had great at-bats constantly, so shout-out to him too. He's gritty, man. He's gritty. He, I think he had the go-ahead RBI uh, in game two. Or I think maybe he extended the lead because the go-ahead was on the, on the errant throw. And I actually wanted to ask you about that, Jimmy. How much you, you've developed 
quickly, I think, and do one of the more aggressive base runners in the league. Is that kind of Alec Warda inspired? Like that play, that throw to third base, I feel like you were going no matter what all the way to home once you saw that ball get released. Yeah, I think just fielding a wiffle ball, throwing a wiffle ball, it's difficult. You know, you guys can attest to it. You guys know it. It's not an easy thing to do Coming to throw from a wiffle ball straight. So, yeah, <laughs> it's still hard, guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Dallas caught that ball in like foul territory. So that is a long throw we're talking from first to third. Probably one that he should have ate and he'll learn from it. He's smart. He'll know. But just, yeah, making a throw that far, I knew the chances of it being accurate weren't too good. And even if it was, I felt like by the time Waylon caught it, I would have been at third anyways, which gave me a good chance to score. So, yeah, yeah, right when I saw the ball leave his hand, I knew there was a good chance of me scoring. Yeah, I think that was smart. Um, But the throw, Jim, that ball you threw, that was a -a one-of-a-kind play in MLW. I'm not kidding. We've never really seen – okay, we've seen people attempt it before. We also saw me last year catch a pop-up by the plate and just totally disregard that runner at first base and third base and a run scored behind me. But that's besides the point. Um, But, no, you turn and threw a seed down to second base. And I think – you can catch the audio bite in the video. You're like, that's why we're coming. That's why we do coming down. Didn't you say that in the video? Explain to the I people. Did. I heard it. Explain to the people what that is. Yes. Yeah, so, for example, say Jonah's pitching and I'm in playing shortstop. When Jonah's doing his warmups, I catch the balls and I throw them back to Jonah when he's pitching. So, on Jonah's final pitch, just like in baseball, when the catcher throws the ball down to second base, I'll actually throw the ball down to second base in case, say, for example, when I'm on the mound, just like a play like that happens, I catch a pop up. And a runner tags up a second. It'd be the same thing, say, when I'm pitching, we have Shima or Jonah throw the ball down. Or most of the time, one of those two, yeah, just to like get used to throwing the ball like that. So it's you would never think a play like that's gonna happen, but we were definitely overprepared for it. And I was I was ready. That was sick. I loved um in the replays of that play, like hearing the reactions of all the people that were watching the series, just because it was impressive. And like Kyle kind of said, like it's not really as flashy as that first catch you made with the one hand. That was unbelievable, by the way. But just the <laughs> It's the wiffle ball IQ, baseball IQ mixed with the like the the skill of that play, the direct skill. Not necessarily the flashiest thing, but just how difficult that actually is to execute so perfectly. That, that throw was a dot. It was a dot. <laughs> and, and Shima was there. Before you threw it, Shima was there. Like he was ready for it too. So that just attests to the D backs defense again. Yeah, absolutely. Shima Shima, he gets overlooked a lot. He had a great series um defensively at the plate. Um, so shout out him as well. But I wanted to also asked Jimmy because we've talked, we've had the debate on the on the podcast about the three man lineup versus you know four or five man lineup. Some people say you know it's better to get more batting looks. Some people say well the five man lineup can kind of confuse the pitcher. Um, and you've sort of had the Eagles number at least this year. So what 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 would you say your perspective is on going up against a team that is batting five different people in each game? Yeah, you know, this is this is really hard because if I was in Dan's shoes, we have five guys who have all been good hitters this year, right? So it'd be hard to get into the playoffs. I know it's hard. You build personal relationships with these guys. That's what's hard about being a manager. So it's hard to tell a guy in the biggest game of the year you're on the bench. But I think five, I just don't think there's a way you can do it. I think you got to go three. If you want to even extend a little bit, you could go four. And then maybe whoever's not hot, you switch those, you switch those guys out, that kind of thing. Say, for example, the first game, they hit Dan, Dallas, Waylon, Landon. Say Landon or Waylon struggles. Okay, you take them out, then Blade gets his shot, that kind of thing. But I think there's also no secret that Dan and Dallas are the best two hitters on those team, on that team. And if they're hitting three guys, now I'm facing Dan and Dallas 67% of the time. That would have been a lot harder for me to navigate as a pitcher, if I'm being honest. So moving forward, I don't know what they're going to do. They have a stacked roster, five talented guys. 
maybe some trades in the offseason for them. They also are going to have a high draft pick. So now they're going to have six talented guys. So I think they're kind of the team to watch this offseason, if I'm being honest. Interesting. Definitely some uh, some food for thought there for, for Dan and company. I know I know Dan likes his deep roster, and, and it was successful for him. Um, it just came down to execution, and you guys have shown last postseason, this year now, that um, you have a group that can execute when is needed. Um, I want you guys to be honest with me, though. You know, when you're when you're driving home from the Meadows after that series, like, are you kind of thinking, like, gosh, we're living on borrowed time here? Because, I mean, it, it did look good for you guys. The comeback was unbelievable, and it was a convincing comeback. Once you did come back, it was over, but... I don't know, just like how, how uh, like surreal was it? Just and the the emotional roller coaster that day was of the series through the highs and the lows. It was definitely like it was definitely a big high. Like <laughs> I wasn't expecting to lose, but I knew that winning was also you know wasn't a given. So it was just like to to squeak that one out, especially with how it started. You know, like we talked about, the energy was so low, and like I feel like hopes were just low, backs against the wall. But it felt felt really good to be able to bounce back and just turn it around like that and just take it home, you know? Would would you guys say that uh that this series means a little bit more with uh with what's at stake here on on MLW's road to SoFi? Hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> and even just like I like I love the team we have this year. Like obviously I loved playing with Jonah and Shima last year, but adding Trey and Casey, like we've become so close with those two. Also like I just want to keep playing with all those guys. I want to try to win a championship with those guys. That'd be so cool. So to do it at SoFi would be awesome. But just to win it with them would also be special. So the only thing standing in your way is yours truly, huh? <laughs> but no, real talk, what's, I guess you can't give me any of your secrets, of course, but nor would you before the series, but like what's, what's the strategy there? Cause you guys did get swept by the Mallards earlier this season. So what adjustments do you think you want to make directly prior to that series? Or what's your plan? I guess. Yeah, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's a great team. I've said it. I pre- I predicted before the year, unbiasedly, I said the Mallards are going to win the NL. And fans, a lot of fans probably would have said I was crazy. But I was predicting a big bounce back from Tom. And Jordan Rollins is Jordan Rollins. So it's a great team. Caden Irwin's also coming into his own, especially on the mound. I know he's limited time, but he's been good on the mound. So I guess adjustments that we're trying to make is just scout Robles a little better. One thing I've learned about Robles, you leave it up, he's going to hit it out. It's simple as that. He's done it to everybody. Good pitchers in the league, the average pitchers in the league, you throw it up to him, he's going to hit out. So got to pitch him super carefully, that kind of thing. And just, I know he's developed a lot of pitchers, so we're going to have to kind of scout out his new pitches and see what we can do against him. we got to scrape some runs on and get him on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a mental war, right, Jim? Because I know, I know Jim's got to be careful in all the teams. I knew this whole year. I know hitting behind Robles, like, you know, no one wants to like, give up dingers to the Robles, who's, like, obviously one of the best, if not the best power hitters in the league. So that puts a lot of pressure on my on my shoes, right? To to, to deliver and step up. If if Robles isn't going to see stuff to hit, then I got to step up and be the guy. So it, it makes a fun opportunity for me too. But it'll be a thrilling matchup for sure. That one's going to be coming in two weeks. This Friday we have the ALCS between the Preds and the Cobes, a weighted rematch we all wanted to see. Um, Jim Jonah, predictions for that one in the AL. I I've got the Preds in two. That was my prediction. I mean Ryan Cratch has been. Probably the MVP this year. His pitching is unbelievable. I've only got to see him in the box limited times, a couple at-bats in the All-Star game. Just watching him right now, he's dialed in. The Cobras are a great team. Don't get me wrong. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the Cobras won the series that way, but I just think the Preds are hot right now. They beat a good Wildcats team. They didn't just beat them. They, let's be honest, they kind of killed them. And that's mm-hmm. a great Wildcats team in my opinion. And so 
Preds have all the momentum their way. Ryan Cratch is just that guy right now. So, about you, Jonah? I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two to one Preds. That's I, me too. I'll give That's the what I got. They might get a game in there, but I don't. I don't think anyone can get a ball past Ryan Cratch right now. Russ has been Russ all year. Warda is always Warda. That's a solid three right there. Hard to get mm-hmm. a ball past any of them. I want to ask so. you. I want to ask Jack real quick because Jack, your original prediction was the Cats I did coming out of the cats. AL. So that one didn't go I your was, way. I was one for two in the but, first round. But but uh, recalibrate there. So now yeah. you got the, the matchup in the ALCS. What are you thinking? I mean, if I recalibrate, you know, it's hard now because we have recency bias from the Preds' performance. Right. So and it's tough. It is tough, but. To me, I you know I chose the Wildcats because I thought they were going to beat the Predators and also were going to beat the Cobras. So if the Predators mm-hmm. beat them, I feel like I got to go with the with the Predators now too. Kind of mm-hmm. what Jonah was saying. I don't think anyone you know is really going to hit that well off Ryan. He's been crushing it at the plate all year. He's getting tons of run support that he didn't have last year mm-hmm. from the Predators, and I think although the Cobras have been great all year, especially on the mound. They're very inexperienced in the playoffs. You know, other than Drew Davis, he's obviously been around for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, Ryan has that experience. Alec has that experience. Brennan does too. Um, so it's I'll probably go Preds 2-1. I think it, I, I don't think they'll sweep them, but I think it'll be close. Um, Preds 2-1. So I also said Preds 2-1. But the one thing I want to point out to the viewers to keep in mind going into this series is um, the fact that the Cobras swept the Predators this year. Yeah, and it was pretty recently. It was in the second half of the season, um, one of the games, one of the series is after the All Star break. So keep that in mind. That head to head, the Cobras did see Ryan Cratch very well. They were the only team this year to see Cratch very well. You could True. argue the Eagles did point. a decent job at it, but that, that game didn't mean a lot for the Predators. But with the with the you know the, with big stakes on the line, the uh, the Cobras you know they were dominant in that series. So yes, based on what I've seen so far. You think of that series kind of like as an outlier for Ryan Cratched. Mm-hmm. So I do have the Preds 2-1, but um, it would not surprise me at all to see the Cobras march in there and do their thing. You know what I mean? So it'll be it'll be a good one. I'm excited. I think the I think the uh, the jaws the jaws will be chirping for sure in that series, oh, yeah, it'll and, it'll, and it'll be a battle of of wits and and mental toughness. It's definitely more than be, skill, even. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. The mental toughness will be a factor. Um, because think about it, guys. Think about how chippy that last series was between Young Sawyer and Russell and just everyone on that field, really. And now the winner of this series and a best of three gets a trip to SoFi Stadium for a chance to win. You know what's going to be inevitably the coolest MLW World Series experience yet, right? So. It's it's special and there's a lot on the line here and it's gonna be intense. It's gonna be intense. That's why we're excited for it. And I'm sure me and James will be going at it pretty intensely as well in uh, in a few weeks. So gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun fun several weeks fun ride. last month, I should say, at MLW. But Jonah and oh, Jimmy, yeah. thanks for uh, hopping on tonight. We appreciate it. All the fans do as well. And uh Jim, Jonah, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Yep, yep. Hey, both of those series are gonna be must see YouTube, so Absolutely. We'll, we'll see you on we'll the tube. We'll catch you guys. All right. We'll see you guys later. Yep. All right. What an episode. A lot to discuss. A lot to get into. But I think we, I think we did it all, Jack. From UFs to MLW championships, we've covered, we've covered it from from every every angle. So it was a fun one. It was a good one. Thanks again to Minor Breakdown for sponsoring. Be sure to check out that podcast. And until then, we'll see you guys post game of the ALCS. Peace. Pipe it up, pipe it up, pipe it up, pipe it up.